Just two more weeks, teachers. Two more weeks. Now, if, uh, and maybe I guess kids as well, but teachers, kids, those of you who are in here, like your longing for spring break doesn't even compare to your teacher's desire for that break. You may think, these kids think, oh, I'm going, I'm not going to go to school. And the teachers think, oh, I'm not going to commit a felony. <laughs> like, it's big. It's a big deal for teachers to have this break, or so I'm told. Because kids get excited, and um, teachers feel hope. Just for a brief second, a brief span, they get to see, uh, they get to see the world through the lens of no school. Um, and that, that's nice, um, to have hope like that, to, amidst chaos. And I, I think in, in, in some aspects, Christianity, at least our, the way we understand it, is, uh, is just that. It's that we live in a chaotic world, a world full of people who are, um, doing as they see fit. And I, I don't want to just paint the outside world with that, because I'm not preaching to those people, I'm preaching to y'all. And sermons to people outside the walls do not do anyone any good. Because um, they don't hear it and y'all don't get it. But us, sometimes, we do as we see fit. Like we saw in Judges recently with um, the... Uh, with, with all these people just doing what they please, and occasionally they'd get a, uh, a judge, and the judge would rule over them for a while, and they'd have great periods of peace. But in the end, it sort of just declined in, in value. I mean, if you look at Samson's period of a judge, like they never lived in peace with Samson. There was no declaration of peace with Samson. They just lived with Samson ruling them, and Samson made horrible decisions, and God used him anyway, which is... The lesson um, of, of Scripture is that God uses people all the time who aren't perfect. God used one person ever who was perfect. And that was very beneficial to us. But the rest of the people, David, Saul, Solomon, Noah, Abraham, all had their imperfections, all had their weaknesses. And the judges, we see that time and time again, God is using people who are broken and who are weak. Now, the end of Judges ends like this. And Corbin, you're going to have to progress this for me. And those, you know, we, we, uh, we left, they decorated Ladies Night Out and they thought these things were so cool and they are cool. Um, they thought they were so cool and they were like, let's leave them up for one Sunday because who knows if we want to convert to... Artemis or something, and then, uh, <laughs> but they didn't realize this is my sight line, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from here. In those days, Israel had no king. All their people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That seems about right. That seems about what we do. 
And this was, this was the end of Judges. Judges started out this way. This was how they were, do, they were acting in the beginning. And there's times, and maybe you feel like your life is like this. You know, sometimes you get better and then you get worse. And you get better and then maybe not as bad. And it feels like you, if you are making progress and as a Christian, it's three steps forward and two steps back. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. And you are just slowly progressing and declining. And you have your good days and you have your bad days. That's why it's so frustrating to show up to church and look around and see everyone having all these good days. But they're not. We're not. We're all in this together. Ups and downs together. Progression and decline together. And what we were lacking or what the people of God were lacking and judges, we are not lacking today. And Ruth is the story of that hope. You can go to the next slide, Corbin. Ruth is this beautiful story of two women and a man, uh, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Naomi is um, an older woman. She's probably actually not that old. And she's probably in her 60s. Um, see what I did there? Uh, yes, amen. And Ruth is her daughter-in-law. And it happened like this. If you go to Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they decided to go to the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were... That one, we're going to call him Bill. Malon and Kilion. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So they're the people of God. They're the people of Israel. And there's a famine on their land. So they go to Moab to live. This, if you, if you look closely enough, you can see what the writer is doing here. I, I got I get a, I could spend seven weeks in Ruth. Ruth is one of not just in the Bible, but one of the most beautifully written pieces of literature in all of literature. It is it is profoundly um, representative of of. God, it is deeply moving in places. I mean, just just in four short chapters, four quick acts, it does things that most works of art can't do in a lifetime. It is just brilliant. It's almost as if the writer had help. So, I won't point out everything that's happening in Ruth because it would take a while, but just pay attention to, to this, this going and this coming that's happening in Ruth. That, that is a key in the story. You'll listen as we read the story. You'll see so far how many times have they gone away and come back. A lot. You know, they, they were, they, they spread out over the earth and then God calls Abraham. He's all, he's all the way in Ur. A town, a place so far away that they ran out of alphabet. 
And God calls him to a place. He says, let's go. And they, they, they make that first trip to the promised land. And then they're to Egypt because of famine. They're back because of God. And then Joseph makes his way to Egypt. And because of a famine, God's people go away. And then they are set free from what oppresses them, and they return. And then here, Naomi and Elimelech, they go away. Now, while they're away, they face oppression just by nature. Um, They have two sons. The two sons... Marry two women, uh, one Orpah and the other Ruth. And then the husband, the husband dies, first off, and then the two sons die. And so it's just Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi says, go away, go to your homes. At least you'll find a man there that you can um, connect with. And Ruth says, no, no absolutely not. I'm staying with you, and and may God be harsh on me if even death brings us apart. And then when Naomi realizes that Ruth was just as hard-headed as she is, she was determined to go. She stopped urging her. And verse, verse 19, next slide, says, So the two women, whatever that word is, went on. I'm going to get down here. They went on until they came to Bethlehem. Then when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Oh, my goodness. It's Naomi. Next slide. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara here uh, sounds like the word bitter. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God has made me bitter. Next slide. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This is a hard theological statement, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying Naomi's right. I'm not saying Naomi has nailed her understanding of how things have happened. But this is how she feels. She feels broken and she she left with hope and is returning bitter. Now the full story of Ruth. Um, actually, we finish up with verse 22, Corbin. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And the, the author of Ruth here wants you to hear, dum, dum, dum. Like, it's not like a dum, 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 but it's close. Like, what's going to happen? Why is she telling me about the barley harvest? Why do I know about that? Well, because Ruth is going to meet a barley farmer who's in charge of the land 
and he is going to be harvesting barley and she's going to uncover his feet at night. And we don't know what that means, but we're not comfortable talking about it. I don't I've got commentaries on Ruth and they've just redacted that whole part. It's all blacked out like an FBI document. It's just. We don't know, but she has this relationship with Boaz. And we could be convinced here and rightly so that Ruth is a love story. And it is. And it's a, it is, on its small story perspective, it is a love story between a man and a woman. It's a love story between a woman and her mother-in-law and a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. But Ruth is this connector between the end of Judges and the beginning of 1 Samuel. It reads... In Scripture, if you just keep running from Judges into Ruth to 1 Samuel, you get this beautiful picture of hope. At the end of Judges, we have chaos and brokenness, and everyone's doing as they see fit. Everyone is is running amok. And Ruth just hits pause on that chaos to tell us about a woman who found a man because she did what her mother-in-law told her to and they had a child. Now we go into detail, but I did two sermons on that last year in February. So go back and listen to those. The end of Ruth ends like this. Ruth chapter 4 says the woman said, the women said to Naomi, this is after she's had a child. They've gotten married. Spoiler alert. They get married. Boaz and Ruth get married and they have a child. And then the women say to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. They said that to Naomi. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, does Naomi have a son? Not really. She has a grandson. But Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the rest of Ruth ends with a genealogy that, again, shows you from Perez to David. But the book of Ruth goes from everything was chaotic to we have a king. They went away from the land. And came back with a king. Everything is chaotic. But we have a king. And if that's not the bigger story summed up. Everything is chaos. Brokenness. There is uh, poverty. There is hunger. 
People are lame and sick and dying. People are hurting and they are, they are, the relationships are in peril. God is not in this place, but God comes to this place. You know, for them, David, and now remember, these are, they are writing this down. This is, this is a tradition that they just told to each other, but they write this stuff down later whenever they're seeing things through um, a good perspective. And they want you to know that from Judges to David happened because of Ruth and Naomi. Two unlikely characters. A widow who was thought of not that well. And a widow foreigner who was below widow in status. They had fallen down. Now, Naomi, uh, Ruth was already at the bottom of the ladder, but Naomi had fallen because of her status. And now, they have brought order to chaos. They have brought a king to reign. That's why when God comes to a young woman named Mary and says, I'm going to bring you a leader from the line of David and I want to, you to name him Jesus. Now, Greek, Jesus is a Greek name, Iesus. That's how you say it in Greek, Iesus. But Mary didn't speak Greek. She might have a little, but she was probably better at Aramaic and Hebrew. And so Jesus' name in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua. And if you ever watch the... Um, if you ever watch the Passion of the Christ, they'll, you'll hear that word a lot. You'll hear Yeshua Kepha, which is Peter, or Cephas. And you'll, you'll hear them say Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua. See, if you take Jesus' Greek name and just move it into English, it's Jesus. But if you take his Hebrew name and just move it into English, it's, he, it's Joshua. It's a super common name, and it was a super common name because one of the biggest heroes in their world who brought them victory was a man named Joshua. So from David and Joshua comes Jesus. This, this rescuer, the redeemer, the one who saves us. Ruth is the hope That hasn't fully come yet. You remember at the end of Ruth, it's just Obed. It's just a baby named Obed. It's not David there. We still, Obed still has to grow up, get married, have children, have a lot of children. David's the youngest and the ruddiest. That's a joke to me only. It's funny. I don't care what you think. It's how the Bible describes David. He's ruddy. R-U-D-D-Y. And he's, he's this... I mean, he, he had to live this full life. Uh, Boaz and Ruth had to grow old together and raise a child. That child had to get married, grow old together, raise a bunch of young men. 
And then we finally get to David and it takes forever for David to become king. He's anointed king and he's not quite king yet. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. But in Ruth we find hope. Hope for the king to come and correct the chaos. Hope for the king to come and make things new. And we have that hope. I think, I think there are times that we're living right in the middle of Ruth. In this chaotic, broken place without leadership. But we know who our leader is. In a place without a king. But we have hope in our king. In a place without a, a redeemer. But we've been redeemed. It's this, the, the uh, scholars call it already but not yet salvation. We've been saved already, but not fully yet. Jesus has not come back. Jesus has not come and made things new, but we are the, the, the glimpse of that to the world. That's why when we say, go be your best self, go love others like Jesus has loved us. That's why when we say, uh, live a certain way, live like Jesus taught us to live. It's not so that you can get checks on your list and say, oh, well, I've been a good person because of this and this and this. It's, It's so that you can be the glimpse of the kingdom to people in this world. It's so that you can show others what true salvation looks like. Not just in I've had my sins forgiven, but because I've, I've lived this life fully with a hope that the king is going to come and make order out of chaos. To recreate, to renew, to resurrect. That's why death has lost its sting, because we have hope in a king. That's why death has lost all of its ability to harm us, because we have a redeemer who has resurrected from the grave. Ruth has all of this in mind and more. With the going and the coming back, the, the returning, the brokenness, the salvation, the hope, the leader... And Jesus and the angels who predicted his coming, the prophets who predicted his coming had David and Ruth in mind because we don't, we don't see it all the time. We don't see it fully all right now. You may feel really stuck. But Jesus is leading you out of that chaos. I was speaking with someone... Um, recently who uh, addiction had really hurt and about a year ago they were just in the middle of it just I mean right smack dab in the middle of it couldn't see past it and I was I was talking with him and I said you because uh, I'd spent a lot of time with him a year ago I said what if you right now could go back the time machine to, a, to you a year ago. What would you have told yourself? And he said, I would have just, I would have just told, I would have told me, even though it doesn't seem like it, there is hope. 
Even though it doesn't feel like it right now, there is hope. Because he's, he's clear. Things are fine. Things are, you know, life's hard, but he's okay. But right when, when you're in the middle of it, when you're in Judges, Ruth, David does not seem possible. When you're being ruled by the Romans and being double taxed for your earnings because of the temple and because of the Roman guard, Jesus does not seem possible. When you're in the middle of your brokenness, Jesus does not seem possible, but Jesus is possible. You're, you can you can find the kingdom now. You can find the king now, right now. And it's not and it's, it's not going to be immediate. It isn't. It isn't. But your salvation will be. Your redemption will be. Your brokenness. We're going we're gonna to work on that together as a community, as, as believers, but you will have salvation now. We'll have redemption now. I've, I've baptized several people lately um, and uh, had a couple, and that's, this is just fine. I've had a couple of people say, what about next Sunday? I can do next Sunday. My family's going to be here. I want them to be, be a part of that. This is what we did with, with, uh, with Braven. When I baptized Tommy Monday, Tommy sent me a message said, hey, can you dip me? And I thought that was like a hip acronym that I was unaware of. I was like, yeah, um, what does dip mean? He goes, baptize. It's like, oh, yeah, when, when do you want to do that? I'm thinking, like, when, like you wanna, I'll, I'll get my calendar out. He's like, well, as soon as possible, right now, I guess. It's like, all right, come on. We climbed over chairs in here from Ladies Night Out. There's something I'll never forget. There's details I'm not even going to say. But it was, it was wonderful because he's starting. He's starting this journey. And he chose to start it with you guys. So, if you want to start the journey today, you're not just coming up here and being baptized because... You know, I, I want to I connect with Jesus. That is true. But you are connecting with Jesus with this church, with this family, with the larger church, with the larger kingdom of God. You are saying, today is my Ruth. I will find hope in the chaos. I will find a king in a kingless kingdom. If you want Jesus today, or if you need to return to Jesus today, do Enter into a relationship with Him in baptism. Do come forward and find your people. Connect with your people. Please do it today as we stand and sing.